You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and Express Magazine, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. I'm joined today by my co-host, Annette Hinkle, who is the arts and living editor for the Express News Group. Good morning, Annette. Morning, Bill. How are you? Our panelists today are our regular Denise Savaletti, editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Morning. Another regular, Beth Young, editor and publisher of the East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Good morning. And Gianna Volpe, host of the Heart of the East End, right here on WLIWFM. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so let's let's uh, let's start with. Um, with the the arrest in Montauk, they um, they arrested the the perpetrator um, allegedly of um, the anti-Semitic uh, graffiti that was sprayed in, in a couple different locations over a couple different times in in Montauk um, in in late October and then I think in in November, um, and the suspect <clears throat> is a seventy four year old. Um, guy from from Montauk. Um, I'm going to screw up his his name. Michael um, Nicolulius. Is it Nicolulius? Yeah, that, there you go. And not um, not a teenager or a, no. a younger person, no, I think, as some people had thought. I, I think everybody was thinking it was it was kids, but no, this is a guy who um, has some some anti-Semitic feelings, according to uh, statements that that he gave to to the police um i was i was intrigued by um by the investigation that went into this so so apparently police um and that included east hampton police suffolk county police and the and the da um and the district attorney's office they had um they had sought um surveillance video from areas around the um um the um the first hate messages and I, and I guess the second event and they had um they had seen a, a car that they thought was suspicious and um tracked it tracked it down to to this guy and then they actually um they followed him around for about a month um yeah. waiting waiting for uh to you know to find enough evidence to arrest him and um the the other night I think it was early Tuesday morning um, they caught him in the act a third time. He was spray painting a, a swastika, and uh, and they arrested him. And then they did. Um, they obviously did a big uh, press conference and um, and um, arraigned him the 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 next morning. And um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, it, it's nice. It, it, it's nice to see that you know that the cooperation of of the different agencies and that they took this really seriously and put a lot of manpower into um into tailing this guy and um um waiting for for him to give them enough evidence to you know to to charge him right absolutely what a great investigation and um it's a nice kind of uh holiday story now especially because you know he was caught just ahead of uh you know uh, Hanukkah um right. which is a, a sort of extra egregious that um 
you know, he was doing such a, such a, a holy time. Um, there is no good time to be doing such a thing, but a uh, great job by investigators. Are they prosecuting it as a hate crime? Um, I saw that. Yes. So, so he was charged with two counts of aggravated harassment in the first degree and one count of criminal mischief in the fourth degree as a hate crime. Right. Um, and then 11 different misdemeanor charges. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're throwing the book at him. And um, by, by all accounts, he, you know, he, um, in statements to, to police admitted to, uh, to the crimes. Yeah, um, I mean, there's cameras everywhere these days, you know, that was our first thought was like, how could, you know, how could they not see maybe what was going on? So, you know, you got to, the criminals need to really think twice before. And there's, there's, there's like work being done, right, to uh, expand the definition of hate crimes. Is that like at the on the state level? Yes. I'm not super familiar with that, but yeah, they, they want to make it easier to... Um, to, to charge that, um, it, I, I think the current law has to do with there, there has to be a, a, a specified um, victim. So it makes it difficult when it's, you know, somebody, you know, spraying graffiti or or whatever. Right. So who's the victim? I think in this case, um, you know, because because it was a, a private business involved in the first um, in the first instance, that might have been what qualified of it. But I'm I'm certainly not up on on the law but but yeah I, I did hear that in albany they're um they're, they're looking to uh to change the laws a little bit to make it a little easier i i'm, I'm just I, i'm glad they 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 caught this guy i'm just i'm taken aback by it seems like every time you turn on um you know the, the tv or read the paper or whatever the 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 the, the amount of anti-semitism and 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 hate crimes in the in the country right now is just um, unbelievable! It's 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 shocking to me. I just I don't understand it. Um, it's devastating. There's just there's just uh, this this huge rise, and and I don't I I don't know if it if it's if it's if it's it, certainly it, there's a lot of attention because of the war in in Israel, but it just seems like it's an increase in you know in these kinds of crimes. It's it's been rising steadily since 2015. Mm -hmm. Gee. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what no. Could I, possibly have happened in those years. Yeah. And and I mean it. The they it's like record numbers. I just looked into this because I included in a story that I published on Sunday um, about a guy who was just a kid when someone um, painted a a large uh, white swastika in the family driveway in 1969, um, and he talked because this. He's now a member of the town's anti-bias task force, and um, his uh, they've been talking about the swastikas that have appeared in Riverhead school buildings over the last month or so. Right. And uh, he he mentioned to me that this happened to him and how much it's still how much it, that how sort of raw it still is after all these years. Um, and so I I had a good interview with him and. Talk to him about that, but I did some looking into, and I think I put some stats in that story. The Anti-Defamation League keeps track of that. Um, they do a, like a, an audit, an annual audit of um, incidents of uh, hate crimes, and um, it's really, and particularly, I think, 
swastika graffiti especially it's been on the rise um and and the anti-semitism incidents uh have just been you know um really rising in a striking way um it's just heartbreaking so it is like anonymity too people like to hide behind anonymous comments yeah. well, and i feel like that has not helped it's the way that people are able to you know make up fake names for online posts and you know it just seems like it all feeds into that whole like you know not revealing who you really are when you put this stuff out there i think even even on facebook people feel free to say all kinds of crazy things even when they're using their real names just right it's, it's just become a place where people go to rant and rave about um all kinds of conspiracy theories that they believe in and uh or troll people yeah. No, no meet them on the street and say hey how you doing and then you know, if you mentioned that you saw their Facebook posts, they kind of clam up and say, oh, my gosh, like that exists in the real world. Yeah. I'm just like people, people looking for when you're sitting typing at your computer. I I, I think the pandemic kind of addled a lot of people's brains. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, for sure. Home, see, so yesterday, the, which was the beginning of Hanukkah, right, as you pointed out, yeah. Yeah. That the, the, there was shots were fired on the premises of um, a synagogue called Temple Israel in, in Albany yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I heard that on the radio this morning. I was just looking at the statement from the governor. But then um, conversely, you've got those three um, kids who were shot up in um, Vermont, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Also, you know, racist mm -hmm. uh, terror. <laughs> I, it's a scary time we're in. Um, well, well, it is. And, and there's no filter. Like, you know, Beth was saying, there's no filter on on social media. And I think then that spills into into real life. People see there's no consequences to that. But but then, the you know, the the real shame and the real sad part, you know, Denise, you know, mentioned the incident at, at, at the schools. So this 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 filters down to, you know, to the kids who then think that that's OK to, you know, to to be hateful and and to. Uh, you know, and and to do that kind of thing, and and that's, you think about that's... like you think about the polarization at large, and then you think about like comment culture, and how no matter what you post online, the comment section, you can bet dollars to donuts. The first thing you're going to see is someone with not only a divergent viewpoint, but like in a way that's trying to put you down or shame you or or whatnot and or, it's or just bait, like or bait you right and it's just exactly trolls and just like people looking for a fight and building like squads and and you know what do you how do you feel and it does not matter what it is that you're posting right. and it, it does not matter you know, it helped me with my I think maybe it was Joe Shaw basically said you have to look at Facebook comments like you're sitting at a bar, you know, and some <laughs> idiot at the far end of the bar is saying something. So, you know, like, you, you know how you could you either get up and move away or you don't let it bother you because, you know, the guy's been there since two in the afternoon. You got to kind of right. think that way, I think, with Facebook comments, you know, you're just it's just the lout at the end of the bar. Um, so don't like give him the same equal weight that you would somebody in your trusted inner circle. Maybe right. that'll maybe that'll I just, just keep the blood pressure down a little bit. <laughs> I, the last time I I got into any sort of commenting, I did it one time. It was last year, and it was it was uh, it was over 
the binary identity and and trans rights. And that was the one time I waded in and I knew I, I knew that I was walking into a lion's den and that I was I was also uh, on a post of someone who, you know, there was going to be a lot of viewpoints that were not, you know, did not uh, understand, did not uh, see my point of view whatsoever. I felt like it was important, but mo- by and large, I don't even get into it because who has who has the time? Yeah, yeah I and there's no, it's not people. an actual debate. I'm sorry, excuse me. No, it's, it's just it's not. You can't debate things with people. No, not comments on. You can barely debate with some people in person, but certainly yeah. in the comments on Facebook or social media, it's like there is no honest discussion really. Um, so I, I gave that up a long time ago. I, I almost always successfully re- resist the urge to jump in. Um, yeah, same. but you know, well, you, you can't, you can't hard. ever win. I mean, you start a, no. you start an argument on Facebook, you're not going to win. No, I, I mean, there's no, no changing anybody's mind. Did, no. did you see um, the New York times had done a really interesting story about Silverton, Colorado last week, I think in the Sunday times about a town that was fighting because some, some more progressive liberals had gotten into power and they had done away with the pledge of allegiance. And that like sent off uh, a wave of, of anger from the old timers. And um, they basically started having these small group discussions where they would get people of opposing views, maybe only, you know, they started with 10 people in a room that was too many. And they went down until finally it was just, three of them and they ended up sorting out their differences in these small group discussions over time that's cool fascinating discussion of how um how people can work out their differences when they're in the same room but only in small groups like you know 10 or more it was a melee but three and even in some cases too if they were really opposed seemed to be a pretty good place to kind of but you should go read that story. It's very interesting. Not that I want. I remember to trying to do that. I tried to do that on my show. Uh, you know, when behind the headlines uh, became a show, what I replaced that spot with was I w- I started to uh, bring three to, and, I, and it wasn't like purposeful. I would just say you know three three people, but um, it was really interesting. It's really interesting to. <laughs> To listen to and and try to practice a, a civilized discourse mm-hmm. and coming back to the table yeah and talking about diverging viewpoints respectfully it seems to be a lost it, art doesn't it right yeah. absolutely sadly well, I mean, I think you're right if you get if you get more people you know in in that group then that tribe mentality takes over and people have allies yeah. and and you know and feel justified you know being resistant and you know and and hateful yeah but maybe we should try something that like that um you know out here small groups to get people together oh, to, yeah. in our in our free time denise we could um <laughs> we could start that maybe the anti-bias task force wants to do something like that you know well, they are talking about doing um, something not exactly along those lines, but of trying to have a presence at um, Riverhead uh, School sporting events to try to, you know, because the first the first thing that happened in Riverhead that um, not the first thing that happened in Riverhead, but like the first recent thing was, you know, that racist uh, comments made by. Right. These kid, two little kids at a football. Small, game. small so, kids. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. 
So that's where that started. That thought began. But um, yeah, um, I don't know. You know, like here's the thing, um, and maybe this is impolitic to say this, but <laughs> here we go. Um, like as long as you have such a large proportion of our society in the thrall of a major propaganda organization like Fox so-called news, um, it's going to be impossible, I feel, to make any meaningful headway because they fuel all kinds of stuff like that all the time. It's I mean, how they just, make their money. It's and, how they get the, the it's, eyeballs. It's, it's white resentment and grievance and, you know, that that feeds the you know white nationalists, the Christian nationalists, that whole like ecosystem of trash, in my opinion. And um, you know, that's it, like it's all well and good to try to like do small group therapy with, or whatever, you know, three people with divergent viewpoints at a time. But like, I mean, you know. Talk about it's, swimming upstream. I don't know. It's kind of like when you're, you know, when you're recycling and you're doing the right thing by the environment and then yeah. you work at, you know, an organization where you see just how much one uh, such entity uh, throws away and waste, etc. And then you start to do the math in your head and you think about uh, it's a very David and Goliath kind of thing, but I'm also like, I, like I was raised by an environmentalist. And so like, I'm one of those, like, you know, you do what you can. You do. I mean, that's my <laughs> like belief. Every little, like, I still think back to the, to one time where I was able to sort of break that shield. And it was on the conversation of, of gun violence and, uh, and, um, I was able to get past a uh, a talking point about you know uh, wherever the, these people had differing viewpoints than me, and I was able to open their mind by just um, stating a fact and then walking away and then saying, "Look it up," and walking away and and letting them kind of work it out. I heard the second guy say, you know, she's right. Mm. Like 10 minutes later. And, oh, I, I, I'm still holding on to that feeling. So do we feel I, like I, maybe I, in high schools, they're not teaching enough civics and debate classes and, you know, kids, people totally don't know how to, how to fight fair in a way, or, you know, to argue a point. They without... don't even know how to talk about the war, the current conflict, because no. there are uh, so many districts and, um, staff members are nervous about their employment and et cetera, especially after COVID and how, you know, a health topic and a uh, public health crisis was politicized. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very tough but important moment uh, for public education and education at large to really kind of work through that i know that's something that they're trying to yeah. figure out and they're encouraging folks but i i think to to denise's point though that there, there's just no there's no truth anymore and there's no facts anymore that you know that people just you know disagree with with, with everything and create their own facts and 
you know, and do do their own research, yeah. but the research is always skewed, you know, one one yeah. way or the other. And it's They're just only so gonna look at the to... stuff that supports what they already believe, right? Right. Exactly. exactly. And it's so it made it made me so angry that one of the talking points of that type of thinking was that I'm a critical thinker. And it's like, no, you are you are spitting back <laughs> the opposite. What yeah. you're spitting back the talking points of someone who is feeding you falsehoods that is telling you you're doing your own research, you are a yeah. critical thinker. And, and to Annette's to Annette's point though about civics education, I think that's been largely abandoned in schools mm -hmm. over uh decades now, really. And I think we're kind of seeing the result of that. But I think something that goes along with that is also to Gianna's point, news literacy, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that is so, so, so important. And I don't, you know, I mean, Stony Brook University's journalism school has a news literacy program um, that is aimed at uh, high schools, high schoolers. And um, it can be, I believe it's available for free as a curriculum and can be adopted and implemented in, in local school districts. Riverhead, um, to its credit, uh, began offering it this year, uh, but as an elective, and I understand that it had a pretty, from Alec, uh, a reporter, Alec Lewis, that it had a pretty small enrollment. Um, I mean, I would, I, I would urge that something like that actually maybe as like the second semester of a civics course would be mandatory. Know, should be mandatory. I mean, yeah, that's that's phenomenally important. And I, think it's, I mean, it's not going to reach their parents who yeah. seem to not have news literacy. I think also start younger because it seems like this could be a habit that could be started yeah. in middle school rather than waiting until high school. Because I feel like that middle school years are when kids really yeah. dive into things that maybe they wouldn't later or earlier, you know. And that like may be a program. I mean, Stony Brook's news literacy course may actually be, you know, adaptable or, you know, could be used mm -hmm. in middle school. I'm not by any means any kind of an educator like of children anyway. Um and um, you know, I, I don't I don't know, but yeah, you're right. I mean projecting all, projecting things. forward, do you think about like the rise of homeschooling as being something that could tie into uh, where things have been moving as far as that's concerned and, and and because there's there are great there are great things and i think uh, you know everyone has a, a right to educate their kids how uh, whatever the however um they'd like but i i worry yeah, i worry I think, when i think about I, I think homeschooling is great but i think you see a trend lately where it's you know people who are objecting to um certain curriculums in the schools pulling their kids out and saying I'm going to homeschool them with no real educational experience and and I think then then it, you know it, it just creates those barriers for those kids um where where they're not communicating with um you know with with their peers at all yeah. I, I I agree that can be a little scary too but I, I don't uh, I think I, th I think it's even more than that actually Bill because well, all right so I just said I wasn't an educator of children but except for a period of my of my life when I actually <laughs> schooled my kid. kids then um I think it really depends on 
in the primary grades, I wouldn't dare try. Well, first of all, by the time they got to middle school, I couldn't wait to ship them off somewhere else. But, um, <laughs> they, yeah, but, but like, I, I think it depends a lot on the reason why people are homeschooling. Yes. You know, yeah, and I and I think that some people homeschool because they don't want their children exposed to other points of view. Right. And it's it's that mentality that you know leads to library books being pulled off shelves. That's right. what I worry about. Places. That's and what so, I'm trying to talk know, about. I I know from homeschooling. I I know from people that I know who did homeschooling because I joined a a homeschooling group that uh, did a lot of field trips. We went on field trips every Friday. It was awesome. Uh, A lot of people were homeschooling for like religious reasons. um, And they used these uh, religious based curricula curricula. Um, And I mean, I felt, you know, this was long before the current environment, but you know, I could see them being a lot of those people being uh, in doing it for for those reasons. If they were homeschooling or had young children today, I mean, this is going back. My kids are in their thirties now, um, but, and, so, I, and I think I think there was an anti-vax movement too that that yeah, led to right. a lot of homeschooling. And I think anytime you're starting from a position of you know, and and your kids are going to pick up on this whether you tell them or not that. You know that that school is wrong, and 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 what they're doing is wrong, and you know, and so we're going to educate you here. Then then it just it just builds that resistance in, in kids to you know. To, I mean, to, the kids are, I'm are here, not, and then we're not having socialized, and if they're not socialized with a lot of other children, it's easier for them to sort of um, confirm whatever they're being taught at home without absolutely seeing the external viewpoints from other people. You know. I just like wonder, like, you know, looking forward the next decade, two decades, we already have as a society such a difficult time talking with one another respectfully and, uh, you know, understanding other viewpoints. I just uh, it, it seems that we're moving toward a tri- an increasingly tribalized society. Sure. Oh, well, and you and there. you can you yeah. could probably draw a lot of that back to to screens and and screen right. time. And you're right. going to homeschool kids, and it's going to be all all online. And you know, and I think even some of the schools. I mean, we saw that with you know with the pandemic that you know that we were forced to to do that. But I think probably you know it's moving in in that direction again. And and like you know, education is you know, supposed to open minds. You know, it's supposed to open minds, yeah. not close them off. And I think any environment that focuses on closing them off, whether it's at a homeschool kitchen table or in a classroom because of restrictions that, you know, politics require them to put into place is is a negative, negative thing. I mean, it does not bode well for the future of our society or government or anything else. I want to give a tip of the hat, speaking of Riverhead High School, to Jamal Boyce and the Black Experience in America, that class. um, It's all about really looking and uh, embracing critical thinking, which is something that, you know, another thing we've been increasingly losing in our education system over a decade. Let's let's move on. Um, you're listening to you're, you're listening to behind the headlines on on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. 
my co-host this week is Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Panelists are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Gianna Volpe from uh, right here on WLIW-FM. Uh, Beth, you went on a, a boat ride on on Thursday to, to kind of celebrate the, the first working wind farm in the state, right, or, or on Long Island. Um, yes, it's uh, the first. In the, it's the first to provide power to New York State. Um, it's got one turbine that they uh, turned on the power to this week. Um, there are, tw- I believe, a total of twelve that are going to be built. Um, uh, as of and that's Thursday, off off Block Island. It's off. It's about thirty miles east of Montauk, so it's past Block Island. There is a wind farm. Um, that just has five turbines that's in the waters off of Block Island. That's been up and running for a few years now, but that's, I guess, Block Island is part of Rhode Island. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. And so Wait, Beth, you saw it? New York State. Hmm? You saw it? I saw it. I saw <sighs> both of them. There was um, a, there was a, it, a boat ride with uh, with officials and a lot of a long uh, boat ride. Let's a, be honest. A lot of reporters um, and, um, a lot of and reporters. media media people. Dana How long was the boat ride, Beth? Took some great pictures for the Pre- Express News Group. Uh, it, they said it was going to be nine hours. It was only seven ish. So, oh my gosh, they, it's, they, it's a long day. Un- no, un- thank you. Over delivered. Um, but but um, yeah, they're they're very big. Um, and uh, <laughs> are they loud? Do they make noise? I didn't hear any sound, but um, yeah. I heard the waves. Um, one one of the turbines is turning at South Fork Wind. Um, the ones in Block Island have been up and running for several years. So we we drove through the through the Block Island wind farm to get out to the um, to the South Fork Wind. Uh, and once you get past Block Island, you have to uh, cut your boat speed down to ten knots because it's a right whale protection area. Uh, so that's part of the reason it was such a long trip. Um, we saw a spout at some point but we did not see any whales but we also did not hit any so that's good news um but the the turbines are up and running and i think this is kind of there have been a lot of setbacks recently in the wind industry um right uh orsted and eversource which are the the group that um is building the south fork wind farm had also been in contract to build two off of the coast of new jersey that they pulled out on uh earlier this year and there's also been uh, the, the the Orsted and Eversource are working on a bigger wind farm that's going to be very close to South Fork Wind that's called Sunrise Wind that's going to come ashore at Smith Point and connect to a Holbrook substation. So that farm and another one off of Long Beach, um, the, the organizers of both those wind farms had submitted a request for um, larger payments in their contracts to the New York State Public Services Commission earlier this fall. And that was denied by the governor who said uh, she thought, well, it was denied by the Public Service Commission, but the governor's statement on it was that uh, she believed that it would be good for the competitiveness of the industry and for the consumer that they stick with the original contracts. So this is. Was it just that did, did they pull out of Jersey and then is it all about money? Like they want to make more, they need to make more money than what the original contract called for. A, a, a lot of it had to do with with construction costs, if 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 I remember right. That, that it was more just, than they maybe right. estimated. Well, it's just it just costs so much more now than right. than the when they oh, were planned. Yeah. 
Yeah, inflation and supply chain issues are what they're saying are the big sticking uh-huh. points. Yeah. Okay. So but but they seem they seem committed to to the South Fork wind, right? And, well, and for this it's 99% done. So right, at well. this point, it's kind of hard to turn around. It might be 98% done, but they have two turbines up. The third one they were putting up on Thursday, it might be done by, by the time we're airing. Um, so their their plan is to have them all installed either by the end of this year or very early in January. So this has been a process that's been going on since they got, they got approved for the um, power purchase agreement from LIPA back in 2017. And mm. so this has been in the works for quite a long time, um, even prior to 2017. Uh, so this is definitely happening. Um, what's going to happen with the other ones? Um, the Sunrise Wind, uh, which is also being developed by Orsted and, and uh, Eversource is, uh, they're working on starting the transmission ca- cable now, which um, is kind of the first step. That's the on-land step. Uh, so that's the first phase of Sunrise Wind is likely to happen. Um, the the developers did not um, receive um, a contract in the last round of uh, RFPs from the state, but there's another one that was released just a couple of days ago um, that they're considering applying for. So the, the governor's office says they're, they're remaining committed to making New York a hub for uh, offshore wind. Uh, in the United States, uh, there were a lot of representatives from the governor's office out uh, at the wind farm on Thursday and uh, committing to that same pledge to make sure that uh, New York is a leader in offshore wind. Um, whether this actually happens, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, uh, one of the, the things that uh, Tom, Thomas Falcone, the uh, head of LIPA, said when they turned on the power, he said, well, it works. So that's... <laughs> Was it? Is it seventy thousand homes? I saw it said seventy thousand homes. Is that just the the first turbine, or or that's or no? all of South Fork Wind, which is all of South Fork Wind. Project. Okay. Yeah. So, South Fork Wind, they're they're really seeing as a proof of concept. Um, the Sunrise everyone's going to be watching. Yeah, yeah. This is the first one. Um, there are a lot of moving pieces. They had to sort of build the industry from the ground up. Um, they were staging everything in New London because they have a, a pier there that's big enough to bring all the sh- the ships they need to put the turbines on out to sea. That's huge. They're yeah. using a foreign flag vessel out there because there's no such vessel in the United States yet to uh, install wow. these things. They're building the vessel, which isn't done yet. So they they wow. brought this vessel from, um, from Europe uh, to actually do the installation because there are quite wow. a number of wind farms in Europe and... Um, that's kind of this what what so, happened with what what ended up happening with the fishermen and the uh the the possibility of them uh getting getting paid uh, like some some sort of subsidies i'm trying to remember uh, what i was reading um, i think that had to do with with the cable coming in and and there and right. there, there are um the the energy companies are paying um, you know, pilot payments to, and I think the the fishermen, um, you know, get get some of that, and uh, town of East Hampton gets gets quite a bit over the next, is it twenty years, Beth? Yeah, there's a a, a very big uh, like twenty twenty million dollars almost right? package. That, so was the fear that their equipment would drag and catch on the cable yeah. or something? Yeah, the big concern yeah. was among um, draggers. I mean, th- what they're saying is like for for recreational um, fishermen that the um 
that those turbines will actually provide um, habitat. Yeah, right. You'll you'll probably you'll probably see people post it up near the, near them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And, so, and and so what what what's going to be the impact of of this wind wind farm, Beth? And I, I know that um, Gianna had mentioned a, a number of uh, it's it's like equal to powering a number of certain homes, right? I mean, it all goes into the grid and then it just gets you know, right. spread around. So but I mean, it, it, it goes to. into the grid, and you know, every one of us uses a different num- amount of electricity. Um, uh, uh, depending on what we've got running in our houses. So, you know, 70,000 is kind of an average. Uh, 70,000, so this is this this first project. The Sunrise Wind is supposed to power 600,000 homes. So wow. the number they were they were giving me on the boat, and I have to double check on that number, so there's over a million residential customers, I believe in Suffolk County. Um, so 600,000 homes is a lot of homes. Yeah. Um, when you when you right. think about um, our electric demand on Long Island, and one of the big things that you know, both the South Fork towns have these uh, renewable energy benchmarks that they want to set. Like a certain amount of the town is going to be powered by renewable energy by a certain year, and none of those numbers really work without offshore wind because it's just one of the biggest tools uh, to get there. Uh, roof rooftop solar helps. Uh, all kinds of solar programs also help, but um, all of these all of these sources of electricity are um, uh, n- they don't necessarily occur when you need the power. Um, uh, right, so right, 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 right. Like they solar. depend on battery storage, um, right. which has been kind of uh, it's been hard to get this yeah, year. it's been hard to get people to uh, want want these things around because not enough. People understand them. There's there's a there's a bit of fear. Um, well, well and, and, perha- and perhaps rightly so. I mean, the, the technology. Right. I, I don't know if the technology is there or not, but there have been fires with these battery right. you know, right. storage right. systems that that right. makes it a little a little scary. But but you're I, right. I think, we 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 need to have those in in place to to deal with with the power coming in from offshore. Well, the thing is, they've been doing this for decades in Europe. So I feel like any fears that people have should be explored by seeing what's happened in Europe. I mean, those things have been turning for 20 years or more. So we already kind of have that in place. So maybe that would be the place to look for cautionary uh, tales or um, how to do things right. I'm thinking. Part of the problem locally has been that um, the last four fires, I believe globally, have been in New York State. Right. So, so New York is just kind of ground to a halt with that. The and governor, a couple of them have brand new facilities too, uh, right? I mean, like literally brand new. Yeah, well, it's, it's a similar issue, yeah. like what you have going on with the lithium batteries, where those are bursting into flame, but they tend to be like the cheaper ones that are, you know, coming from well, China. Are or, you, you know, talking about like? Are you talking about? For like personal mobility devices, or yeah, just be. Like, yeah, I wondered if it's a similar thing, or like the batteries that are catching on fire. Is it? Is it? You know, are there dueling technologies, or are a different the, quality? Of- there's definitely a quality issue. There are a lot more safety standards for a, a best utility. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I just wondered if there's like a manufacturing problem in some of these, right? I mean, you can buy you can buy cheap e-bike replacement batteries that are off market. I mean, I've got two. Two batteries that I brought out to the wind farm for my camera here, right? These you are set the boat on fire. So that's ten good. years ago on on Amazon, 
And I'm noticing now they're kind of swelling a little, but I, oh, it dear. was really cold out there on Thursday. <laughs> and I walk out onto the deck of the boat with this dead, dead, the original battery that came with wow. it the entire time. So now I've got to figure out how to dispose of these batteries. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, I think that just illustrates that, the, you know, these these little things are, are very, very different from what are, are in the... Um, yeah. In the battery energy storage systems, and the what the facilities that have had problems lately have been lithium-ion batteries, and the industry is moving toward a lot of newer technology. I mean, this is just changing so rapidly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just wait, wait for the signs to catch up. Don't that don't um that don't burn as easily. Uh, any 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 word on the governor's working group? Has anybody heard anything about I that? They wouldn't. They wouldn't talk to us. Yeah, they wouldn't say they wouldn't they say said, anything. What have you heard? I said, well, I'm asking you. They said, everybody's asking us and you'll all yeah. find out at the same time. Oh, great. So, Soon. We reached out to the state and they wouldn't. Yes. They had no comment. Soon it was the closest thing to an which, answer, which, answer. Which tells me they're not doing much, honestly. Well, I don't they said know. Everyone's asking. Say something. Yes. So, uh, but it, it needs to, it needs to happen. Well, it's, it's, it's moratoriums it, locally are, are kind of dependent on getting whatever code the governor's office recommends in place. And if they haven't recommended anything yet. The, the moratoriums will be extended, I imagine. Yeah. Riverhead yeah. hasn't adopted one yet, even though it adopted a code allowing the use in the town. Well, so we'll see what happens in the new year. Well, we'll just send it all to Riverhead, Denise. Well, that's what the fear is among some people here. But well, yeah. I know this is like that type the wait and see thing. We were we've been told we were talking about zoning for like the pot shops in Riverhead, and now there's finally news there, right? Yeah. Well, there's not news so much with, with the zoning. <laughs> that's still a work in progress. Right, that's still apparently. very much a problem. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, they adopted what some people say is overly restrictive zoning because there are so few out of all the parcels in town that are theoretically zoned for it because of um, restrictions and setbacks and things like that, including a, a significant setback from residential uses. And there's only like six properties that can have um, these uh, either sale, point of sale dispensaries or uh what they're calling cafes, um, where you can go there and and purchase and imbibe on premises. But um, we learned this week through a FOIL uh, request that um, the um, medical marijuana dispensary on East oh, Main Columbia Street, Care. Columbia yeah. Care, which also has a very large now off of Sound Avenue, a large um, marijuana um growing facility i'm not sure what the right word is but it's greenhouse facility where they're growing marijuana or will be growing marijuana i'm not sure if it's actually underway yet but um anyway they've been operating for a number of years already uh at east main street uh what we call upper east main street and um which is you know approaching um route 58 up there and um they have put in a request for um a, a, a adult use you know recreational sales um from that same facility and um the town uh, did not have any objection to it because all of these things the town has to be notified of all these applications there were 
like 10, 10 of them or more even, but um, two of them. And, and those are applications. To, those are applications to the state, right? Applications to the state for yeah. you know conditional licenses for these facilities, and um, the town rejected all of all but two on the basis of it didn't conform to zoning. And um, one of them that they did not reject was this Columbia Care on the on the basis that um, Columbia Care said and the town accepts that it's exempt because it's already basically it's kind of like a a version of it's grandfathered in they're already doing this there so you know right. which kind of makes sense and then the other one that they didn't reject is on route 58 it's um some portion of a rather large um vacant commercial building that was built um sort of um well, well at the corner of Cromer Avenue and Route 58, it's like opposite the. Walmart. Is that where the Toyota is? No, 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 no. no. Oh, that, that, that's the the brand new building they built a couple of years ago, but hasn't been yeah. occupied yet. Yeah, it's correct. And it's like Carl's equipment is on one side of it's Cromer. It's Cromer, the intersection of Cromer and Route 58. Right. Which is one of the entrance, like by Applebee's, I guess. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Back where so, Planet Fitness used to be down Cromer before it yes. moved. Yeah. Um, oh, I know so, what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, that is zoned for it because it's, can, it can have, you know, general retail and it doesn't have any residential uses or any of the other, you know, it doesn't violate any other setbacks. So, but the, the town is actually um, looking to, so it looks like we're going to have two recreational use or adult use dispensaries in town. Um, and Riverhead's only one of four towns that did not opt out on Long Island. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's seen a lot of proposals, you know, I guess, and that stands to reason. But they are apparently looking at, um, you know, amending the zoning code to make it less restrictive. Uh, they had a meeting yesterday with um, the Cannabis Coalition um, to talk about the issues that those folks see with the zoning that Riverhead's adopted. And um, they pretty much said that if Riverhead doesn't relax the restrictions, um, they're going to be looking at, or they think the state, I think, uh, might be looking at a lawsuit to say that it's overly restrictive because mm. the state law says you can regulate time, place, and matter, but you can't make it so restrictive that um, it's basically impossible to cite them. And that would be the argument. And I think it's probably a fair argument. I, it seems obvious to me. I mean, if there's only four or five spots where you, you could do it, and I think we saw think that six, in, in a yeah. couple other towns too. I don't understand yeah. why, you, why you would opt into it and then, you know, and then totally restricted so so that it's almost impossible well, to have the explanation in Riverhead is that it was the the vote to well it wasn't a vote to opt in it was a vote to opt out right so right and it was a so, split so in Riverhead there were only two people on the town board that voted to opt out the town supervisor and um councilman uh Ken Rothwell hmm. and um so the supervisor is adamantly opposed to this, to, you know, to, to legal legalized, you know, marijuana. And um, she she made she put um, Councilman Rothwell, who was the only other person to vote uh, to opt out in charge of a committee 
to draw up the zoning. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. and so, I, you know, it was kind of it was kind of a predictable result, I think. Yeah. All right. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's Alec explains the, the history of it pretty succinctly in the story that we posted yesterday. So I'll leave it to, you know, people who are interested to go and, and read that. But um, on, on know, riverheadlocal.com on, on Riverhead Local. Yeah. And it's it's you know, it's kind of. Um, it's taken some twists and turns, but it's taken a very long time for them to do something to fix it after they realized, air quotes there, that, um, you know, it was this restricted. So, I, I just I, I wonder if it if it's if, if it's too late. I, I mean, with, um, you know, with with the Shinnecock cornering the market. Yeah, Little, on, Beach, on, yeah, Little Beach Harvest is open, right? It, it is. But there's, you know, there's 10 other shops that are that are selling cannabis, um, you know, on Montauk Highway. And they've had, you know, a, a year and a half, two year head start on, you know, on on all the, the shops that might open in, in the municipalities. Plus, um, you know, they're not paying the same taxes. So I, I think they've They've developed and cemented a business there, and and you've got the same kind of thing at, um, um, you know, the Puspatuck Reservation and and Shirley. Right. I, I don't oh, know. Right, right. I don't know how many people are going to drive to Riverhead for, um, you know, right. for two pot shops. But so are those are those um shops on the reservation? They're they're kind of not part of the um, decision of where things are cited, right? They can they're no, they're, they're, they're not not involved at all, and. You yeah, know, I mean, they they have the, the the nation has said that you know as much as possible that that they're trying to um, you know mimic the you know the state regulations and and all that, but they're not bound by right. by state law at all, like no zoning or anything right. like that. Right, right, right. So we'll oh, that's something. I mean, we we saw that from the beginning of the time we were talking about it. I remember behind the headlines in the early days of you know the end of prohibition projecting into the future and seeing exactly that that's what was going to happen when we were talking about uh, towns opting in or out. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a a smart move certainly on the part of um, of the nation members to, um, to, to hop on the bandwagon there and, you know, and get ahead of everybody else, because as, as we know, government moves slowly and I'm sure they saw that and, um, you know, opened up all those um, those different shops that you know, and I drive by there, you know, a few days a week, and and they're just always always packed, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just people buying cigarettes anymore; it's it's people you know getting cannabis and stuff on their. And these are these are like big out. things. I saw the the Puspatuck one of the facilities that you're talking about recently. I went with. Ryan on an, on an Instacart. He's been doing that as like a side hustle. And, um, and we like made a wrong turn and, and I saw this building and I was like, Whoa, it's, it's like, it's like is, Disneyland down there. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, it's really developed. Um, it's really an impressive thing. Yeah. And, and, and good for them for, for making their money. We are, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to put aside a couple of minutes. Gianna, you just wanted to talk about um, toy and food drives this, this season. Yeah, it is an incredibly difficult moment um, heading into the holidays and amongst just uh, crazy, crazy inflation. As um, we were talking about a little bit earlier, 
Um, I know that if you're listening on Saturday, there's a number of local markets where local people are selling things. I, I do encourage folks to shop small and tip big whenever possible. Um, you know, uh, lo- local people, not large corporations, are really struggling to make ends meet right now. Uh, I know Lumber and Salt is is hosting one on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. where portions of proceeds are benefiting Stony Brook ELIH. There's a winter market happening uh, Sunday mornings, 9 to 1, at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in West Hampton Beach, uh, in Riverhead East End Food on the corner of 105 and Main Road. Uh, in the afternoon on Saturday, there's a maker's market downtown at East End Arts. Uh, as far as donations, I know Heart of the Hamptons is doing their toy giveaway on Tuesday. So unwrapped presents can be dropped off at any one of the locations listed on their website, which is heartofthehamptons.org. The Polar Plunge is going on right now if you're listening to us on Saturday. Uh, but there's so many amazing local organizations out there providing food, goods, and shelter for people, Morian's Haven, Cast, Island Harvest, Long Island Hand, uh, Cares, Hamptons Community Outreach, amazing local food pantries, East Hampton, and Springs among them, Meals on Wheels. So, so just uh, so support, inc- uh, support your, your local organizations. It may be a tough one for some, but it's always, um, it, oh, yeah, need to remember um, the people that it's, it's even more difficult for. This has been uh, Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group, my co-host Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. I want to thank my panelists this week, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Deanna Volpe from right here on WLIWFM. Um, we'll be back. We'll, we'll see you next week. Uh, thanks, guys, for, uh, for coming on the show.